Well, if you were here last week, you might be looking at the bulletin this morning and thinking we have a clerical error on our hands because we already covered a good chunk of Revelations five, but, or Revelation 5, but we don't. Nate and I are preaching Revelation 5 in two parts. Last week, he focused on what it means that Jesus is the one who can take the scroll and, roll, and rules the world with the words of the scroll. Well, this week, I am preaching with an emphasis on the back half of this passage, and uh, where we see how the world responds when Jesus takes up the scroll. And so, I'm going to read the whole chapter because it stands as a unit, and we'll get into it. Please follow along with me in your Bibles or your bulletins. Revelation 5. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth." Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's, oh, I forgot our thing. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, this opportunity we have to gather in worship together and to come 
and sit under your word. I pray, Lord, that the, the glories of this text would impress our hearts, that we would respond in faith, in joy, and in worship. So give us eyes to see what is here for us this morning. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. We'll talk about a dynamic 14 verses. Where this passage ends, all creation singing worship to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb is so different from where it begins. Or perhaps you've been on a road trip where you leave a place luscious and green like here and find yourself at the other end of the road trip in the desert. And how different where you began is from where you started. Well, that's what we have here. A very different ending to the beginning. Come back with me to verse 2. Let's see where this passage begins. The attention of heaven has been focused on this scroll in the right hand of God. A scroll containing God's plans for the world, plans for judgment and salvation. And in view of that scroll, a strong angel shouts, Who is worthy to open this? Who has the power and authority to enact God's judgment on the world in deliverance of the church? And in the gap between that question and the answer is silence, except for the sound of John's solitary lament. John begins to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. But by the end of the passage, the whole throne room is singing. And not only that, the throne room seems to have expanded to the whole cosmos and every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea. Crustaceans, sea cucumbers, badgers, and herons, every living creature is chanting along worthy, blessing and honor and glory and might. What happened? What brought us from a solitary lament to a chorus What brought us from weeping to worship? It must be something substantial, and it is, and it is what we will look into this morning. If you're taking notes, here's what you can put down as a main idea. The Lamb of God leads the world from weeping into worship. The Lamb of God leads the world from weeping into worship. Put another way, we'll answer this question. Why is the angel in verse 5 right to tell John to weep no more? Excuse me, one of the elders. Why is the elder right to tell him to weep no more? And by way of application, why should we, with all creation, worship in response to what this lamb has done? Why should we not stay where John is, weeping, lamenting at the evil of this world? Isn't there plenty 
to weep over? Why move into worship? Well, we'll unpack all this in three parts. Here's our first part. Why is John weeping? Why is John weeping? Secondly, we'll answer, why is Jesus worthy? Why is Jesus worthy? And then third, why is all creation worshiping? Why is all creation worshiping? A lament, a savior, a song. That is our structure this morning. So let's turn to our first point. Why is John weeping? Well, to answer this question, we need to know what is in that scroll. Why is John weeping? Because no one can open it. Well, the imagery of the scroll with writing within and on the back actually comes from the Old Testament, from Ezekiel 2, which tells of a scroll with a very similar description. And it says that that scroll contains, quote, lamentation and mourning and woes. It's a scroll of judgment. And this squares with what we read in Revelation 6. When the scroll here is unfolded, what we see happen is judgment coming upon the world in deliverance of the church as each seal is broken and the scroll is unfolding. And so, the scroll contains God's plan of salvation, which has two sides to it. Judgment for the world, judgment against evil, and deliverance of the church. John is weeping because, as Peter Lightheart puts it, the world is not yet put right. Because until that scroll is opened, evil still is running rampant. John is weeping for justice. He is weeping for a new world order to topple evil, for someone to reign in righteousness. You know, when I was a kid and my siblings or I would be in a bad mood, my mom would playfully dig at us with this song to try and cheer us up, and here's how it went. What's the matter with you, eh? Got to no respect, eh? Why do you look so sad? It's a not so bad. It's a nice place. So hush up your face. <laughs> well, a song like that might work to cheer up a little kid with a bad attitude. But John is weeping for something a song cannot soothe. The world is terribly broken, and the evil one continues to terrorize it, and no one, it seems, can put an end to it. And so John is weeping both on behalf of the world and because of the world, because of its evils, its pains, its injustices, the suffering being inflicted on the saints of God who are being martyred. John is in pain to see things put right. And so seeing John's tear through that lens, we can do more than understand why he is weeping. We can share in his tears. Do we not weep at a classroom floor in Uvalde that is covered in the blood of our children? Do we not weep 
at video of an officer needlessly suffocating a black man with his knee on his neck? Do we not weep at the millions of lives snuffed out every year through abortion? Or at the elderly forgotten in nursing homes and mass institutionalized all throughout our country and the infirm throughout the world institutionalized? Or at families fleeing their homeland because of war and violence? Or at the beheading of our brothers and sisters in Christ across the sea? And I can go on, and so can you. And some of you might sooner go into the walls of your own home to reflect on things to weep over where evil seems to run rampant. John is not being melodramatic. It is appropriate to weep at evil. And if it is appropriate to weep at evil, then it is also appropriate to sing when a worthy judge comes to put an end to it. When someone with the authority to unroll the scroll of judgment ascends to the throne, that is a reason to sing. John needs a new song in his heart, and he is about to get one. And so we come now to our second point. We've just learned why John is weeping. Now let's answer, why is Jesus worthy? Why is Jesus worthy? The passage unfolds this for us in three parts, and here's how we can summarize them. What is said of him, that is Jesus, what is seen of him, and what is sung of him. What is said of him, what is seen of him, what is sung of him. What is said of him comes to us in verse 5. Look down there with me. He is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. And he is said to have conquered. Well, these names, the Lion and the Root, these are designations from the Old Testament of a king who would come from the line of David and would rule Israel forever and ever in righteousness on God's throne. And Jesus, we see in the Gospels, through the genealogies, comes to us through the line of David. And so we have in the historical Jesus the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and longings for a king who would reign forever in justice. What is seen of him comes our way in verse 6 and comes to us as a surprising juxtaposition. John has heard of a lion, and he turns to look, and behold, a lamb. And it is a slain lamb. But it is no lamb that you would want to meet in a back alley. This lamb has seven horns, an image of power, and seven eyes, an image of omniscience, of perfect wisdom, of the ability to see accurately all things. And so, in all of these images layered on top of each other, we see that the one who is coming to grab the scroll is a king, is a sacrificial lamb, is a mighty warrior, and is an all-seeing judge. And so we are beginning to see how this one is worthy to unfold the scroll. 
And then we come to what is sung, to the center of gravity for this whole passage. At the sight of this lamb, the four living creatures and the 24 elders who were singing an old song in chapter 4 erupt in a new song now, verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And so we have here further reasons Jesus is worthy to open the scroll. This song, if it had a title, I think would be called A New Exodus. A New Exodus. Perhaps you are familiar with the story of of Exodus in the Bible. In either case, listen as I summarize it and see if you can catch parallels between that story and the story of Jesus as we read it in the Gospels and as it is recast here in these 10 verses we've covered so far, the story of Exodus. Exodus begins, and the people of God are slaves in a foreign land under a wicked and strong-armed ruler. They are suffering under Pharaoh, who is burdening them with forced labor and murdering their infant boys to try and keep their population at bay. And at the end of chapter 2, we read this, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God sends to them one of their own, Moses, whom he had preserved from Pharaoh. And Moses comes to deliver them through signs and wonders. And that last sign, all these signs are showing the power of God over the power of Egypt and the false gods that the people of Egypt worshipped. The last sign comes to us, and it is the death blow against Egypt. God gives Pharaoh a taste of his own medicine and sends an angel of death to go throughout all the land and to strike down every firstborn son. And there's only one way out of this act of judgment. Only one way to avert the wrath of this day. One way for this day of judgment and death to be for the people a day of deliverance and a day of life. And that is, smear the blood of a sacrificial lamb over your doorposts. The people of Israel do this, and it is the eve of their deliverance. God, in a night, in an act, disarms Egypt and delivers the people. And God brings them through the Red Sea into the wilderness to Mount Sinai, and there he tells them, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." And he brings them into the promised land, and he drives out his en- their enemies to settle them there, and there they reign. And so when we read in verse 9, this new song, 
it's not entirely new. It's familiar in theme, but it has some twists. You might think of it like a cover song. Let me read it for you again. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus is the true and better Moses, one that God sends from heaven and raises up from among man to deliver man. And not Israel only, but the Gentiles too, a people from every tribe and nation and tongue. And Jesus is also the true and better Passover lamb, whose blood is powerful not only to deliver from bondage in Egypt, but to deliver from bondage to sin and from death itself. Jesus is the true and better Joshua, who conquers death and every principality that is opposed to God, and he plants his people in the promised land, in the new heavens, and the new earth, where we reign forever with God. This is the new song of salvation. The old song that is sung in chapter 4 is creation. Worthy are you because you created all things, and by your will they, were, they, uh, will, by your will they existed and were created. The new song is salvation. Worthy are you because by your blood you ransomed a people for God. And so why is Jesus worthy to open the scroll and to enact judgment on the earth in deliverance of his people? Because there is power in his blood. By his blood, in his death, he disarmed death and sin And he gave birth to a new kingdom that will have no end. So his act of salvation is a new exodus, decisive deliverance of God's people and the crushing of sin and death and hell. John is beholding all of this not as something that will happen someday, Not as something that is in the distant future, but actually something that is in the recent past and in the present. This is referring to an historical event. And we, we talk about this event every week in the Apostles' Creed. He ascended into heaven. This passage is a picture of Jesus' ascension to the right hand of God after making atonement for sins. That's what we're seeing here. We are seeing Jesus ascending the throne to receive from the Father all authority on heaven and earth. Jesus is worthy because he has been given the scepter by God to rule. Because he is the Spirit of God to judge justly and righteously. And because by his blood he ransomed people for God and established a new kingdom. In other words, the battle is won. The king has ascended. And we sit in this in-between where the victory is sure, but its realization is yet to come. I've heard it described almost like watching a soccer game where 
you know, it's 9-1 and it's just a couple minutes left of injury time. You know where this game is going. It's won. Jesus has won. Jesus is on the throne. He who suffered unjustly has been vindicated in his resurrection and now assumes the throne to, to have all power and authority. And so who gets to rule the world and unfold the scroll? But he who subdued the ruler of this world, Jesus himself. But we're not done. This song catches on. And so we've come, to, we've come now to our third point. We've learned why John is weeping. We've learned why Jesus is worthy. And now let us answer, why is all creation worshiping? Well, we see this in verses 11 through 4. This new Exodus song is topping the world charts, if you will. The song finishes, and John looks, and remember, in verse in verse um, 2, a, a single angel had said with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll? Now look at verse 11, how a multitude of angels answers that question. I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with one loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Not only to open the scroll, but to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The sevenfold treasures of God given to King Jesus. And the song's popularity doesn't stop there. It reaches beyond the angels to every creature in every corner of all creation. Heaven and earth and the sea and all that is under the sea. Say together to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures who with the elders started the song, finish it saying, Amen. And the elders bow down in worship. So what we are seeing here is a crescendo of worship moving in concentric circles from the throne to the far edges of the cosmos. This is all creation in doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, the blessings of creation and redemption. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Check. Praise Him above, you heavenly hosts. Check. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Check. This is heaven in doxology. And why does this concern all creation? Isn't the story of the gospel just about the forgiveness of sins and the redemption of mankind? No, it is more than that. This concerns all creation because the ground was cursed at the fall too. When sin entered the world, it fractured every aspect of the created order, like a stain coming into fabric and reaching into every fiber. All creation has felt the brokenness of sin. All creation groans for redemption. And so all creation sings 
when it happens. Jesus is the king not just of Christians, but of everything he has created. He is the world's creator and re-creator. And as God is worshipped for creation, so the Son, the Lamb, is worshipped for recreation, for salvation. And so we step back. Where have we been? We have moved from weeping to worship. From a solitary lament to whole world shouts of victory and blessing. From no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth being found worthy to open the scroll to every living creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, worshiping the one who is indeed worthy. And the song has come to us. The song has come to us. What would it look like to carry this song into the world and into your life? To live mindful that the tune of creation, of history, changed at the sun's ascension. And that the song we are seeing sung here is the song that all creation will sing and is singing. That every other song is out of tune with this forever song of salvation. How might we then live to see that Jesus is the Lord who's reigning now. The Christian life is moving from weeping to worship. It is catching up to the throne room that John reveals here. From weeping to worship. And these two are connected. Both weeping and worshiping reflect a deep awareness of the Lordship of Christ. We weep when we see his Lordship rejected. John is weeping not because he is melodramatic or because he does not have hope. He is weeping because he's paying attention. He has a clear vision of the glory of the Lord and the darkness of rebellion, and he weeps at the chasm between the two. And so if we don't understand why John is weeping, it is not because his world is different from ours. It's because we are not paying close enough attention to our own. And because we are misinterpreting the times and we are misinterpreting evil. It is appropriate to weep at evil and it is appropriate to sing for its punishment. Whether through the wrath of God poured out on the Lamb for those who receive him, or through the wrath of God poured out on those who did not and will not put his blood over their doorposts, so to speak. There is no peace where evil goes unpunished. There is no peace where darkness reigns. And so... It is right for us to desire the judgment of God to roll out from he who has seven horns and seven eyes, from he who is perfectly able to know justice and to execute it. 
Well, if we weep at the rejection of Jesus' lordship, then we also worship at the reality of it and in submission to it. You know, some of us struggle to worship perhaps because we find the woes of life just t- too strong and it is hard to sense his lordship. And that's why we need passages like this to peel back the curtain and show us what is, to remind us that his reign is now. The song is now. And perhaps this song is not in your heart, and in fact, you don't like it. You reject this king, this king Jesus, and you disdain a God who would use force to punish in judgment. Well, the scriptures are clear. One way or another, someday, these words will be on your lips. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on heaven and on earth. This is a vision of where all creation is going. The train is on the track. It started moving when Jesus ascended into heaven, and it is unstoppable. This is the song all creation will come to sing. And in the words of a preacher I know, Dave Helm, about this truth, he says, you might as well come to the party before you come late. All will bow. Not all will reign. All will bow. Not all will reign. And so I say to you today, in the hearing of this text, believe in the Son Believe in this lamb. Put his blood on your doorposts. Claim the offer of his blood for your deliverance so that the day of judgment for you will be a day of deliverance. That that day will come upon you as salvation and not as devastation. And that you will go into the new creation reigning with him in the earth where all will be put right. And my saints, my fellow brothers and sisters, until that day when all is put right, until that day when everyone is joined in this song, let worship attend our weeping, our groaning. This world is not a nice place. And it would be disingenuous to slap a smile on our face as if all is already well. Instead, worship attends, even eclipses our weeping. Here's how Romans says it. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. All is not well, but all shall be well. That is the promise of this passage. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive all glory now and forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these words, for this look behind the curtain at the sun ascended in glory 
I pray that it would give us confidence to live in this world that yet rises up against his lordship. In futility, it does so. And it is good for us to remind ourselves that you have disarmed evil. You have disarmed principalities that rise against you. The battle is won, and we are only waiting for all things to catch up. And so give us courage. We thank you that one is worthy to open this scroll and that we are covered by his blood, that we might reign with him in the new heavens and the new earth. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.